Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 20, and we're going to kind of work our way slowly through the Colossians chapter 2, the first two sections of it, uh, this week and next week. And we started this series about five weeks ago talking about uh, the centrality of the person of Jesus. And in the midst of uh, a pandemic and navigating all the details of, of different things and even uh, just the, the, the social media onslaught and the news onslaught of all these different things to be afraid of, all these different things uh, to be scared of, all these different things that we should be focused on and, and, and all of these different things. We, we want to remind ourselves together of the significance and centrality of Jesus Christ. Sometimes uh, when it comes to walking with Jesus and uh, living our lives, pursuing our vocations, raising kids, man, Jesus can kind of take a back seat uh, to what it is that we're doing in our lives. And we want to place him in his rightful place, front and center, and allow everything else to fall in place behind him. Um, and so Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19, when you've got it, would you do me a favor and shout, I got it. And then would you rest on your feet? as we read the scriptures together. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It reads this way. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. The very words of scripture. Amen. You may be seated. My wife will tell you that for whatever reason, in uh, recent weeks and months, I've got this really strange interest in watching documentaries about con artists. As a matter of fact, I just, I just finished one called Bad Vegan. Uh, and we gonna, we gonna, there's a reason why you're a bad vegan, because the scripture says all things are clean. Amen. I'm just playing. But I've gotten a strange interest in in these con artist documentaries. And one of the things uh, that you realize early on, uh, depending on whatever the hustle is from the con artist, they present themselves as something that they're not, right? So if the hustle is money, they present themselves as though they have tons of it, right? So they pull up in some fancy car and like so ostentatious, it's like you gotta have real money for that, right? Uh, it's like an Oak Brook house. You gotta have real money for that. You can't just, you, you, you gotta have the real money for that. Uh, and, and, and so here they are, they, they, they pull up in a, a Ferrari or the, a Rolls Royce and 
uh, and they're staying at some fancy hotel, and they're flying on private jets, and they have the, the Patek Philippe watch, and, uh, and uh, Jay, Jay knows about that. Uh, they, they have these, these like ostentatious uh, kind of accoutrements, right? And, uh, and they, have, uh, they have designer clothes. And uh, over the process of the relationship that you're building with this person, you're like, man, that, this is a really interesting lifestyle. Like, man, this is, uh, this is a really compelling. This is really cool the way that this person lives. And so after a while... They, they, start to, uh, they start to go through something. They're, somehow they're in deep danger somehow, right? Maybe, uh, maybe their father owned a, a diamond company and somehow he's messing with bad people in the black market and all of a sudden they're in danger, right? And uh, now all of a sudden I can't use my credit cards. I can't use, uh, I can't use my bank accounts. They're all frozen because people are threatening my, my life. I, I'm in danger. Or maybe they're in some uh, secret service or, or, or some kind of thing like that, right? And, and now all of a sudden they're in need because they can't use their bank accounts. They come to you and, and, and they say, man, I, I know this is crazy. I'm so sorry, but can I borrow $15,000? Like, I'll pay you back. I, I double it. I'll, I'll pay whatever, whatever it is. I, I'll, I'll give you whatever it is that, that you want. I, I just can't get uh, to my money right now because I'm in danger, Right. And because they've built confidence with you in the fact that they're incredibly wealthy, they're much wealthier than you are, obviously, right? Oakbrook money. <laughs> that then you're like, oh, of course, here's my $10,000. Like, I, I know I saved it, you know, over the course of uh, the past 10 years or, or whatever, or here's my $20,000 or, man, I, let, you know what? I know that you're good for it. So let me cash out my 401k. And, uh, and I'll give you the money because, man, I know they're so wealthy, they'll probably double what they owe me because I'm confident of the money that they have. That's where the con and con artist comes from. They build a confidence with you based on a false presentation, and then they pull a trick on you. That's where the piece of the art comes from. They presented something, and they build confidence all the while, all of what they presented was not really real. And now here you are, you had a normal life, you had a good life, there, there were things in your life that, that, that were going well, and now you meet this con artist, and now all of a sudden the appeal of their lifestyle, the appeal of the things that they experienced has now caused you to be in an incredibly terrible situation because you got conned. You got conned. As we get ready to come to our passage this morning, the, the essence of what we have in chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, really is the longest continuous uh, kind of teaching on what was going on in the Colossian church. So Pastor Derek over the past several weeks has been talking about there's this false teaching that has come into the church uh, at Colossae, and we're not really entirely clear what it is, but verses 16 through 23 has the lion's share of what this t false teaching is. Um, and, and in essence, what the Apostle Paul is telling the people there in Colossae is don't get conned. And he says, don't get conned by legalism, 
Don't get conned by mysticism. Don't get conned by all these different experiences, all these different uh, supernatural experiences. And then he talks about the real thing. What is, what is the authentic thing when it comes to spiritual maturity? And, uh, and so if there was a big idea, if there was a theme that lifted itself off of the pages of our passage, it would be, don't get conned out of your hope. Don't get conned out of your hope. Tell somebody next to you, don't get conned. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather together to sing to you, even for the opportunity, God, to give back in response to your generosity towards us. Now I pray that as we open up your word, that you would open up our eyes to see magnificent things that are in it. Holy Spirit, it is to that end that I am available to you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So here's the thing. The Colossian church is made up uh, primarily of people who are not Jewish. Uh, and so they know that Jesus was Jewish. Uh, they know that the faith was started out in Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus lived, died, and rose from the grave. And now the message of the gospel has been going out to uh, the uttermost parts of the earth. On the way, as Rome is the most powerful nation in the world at the time, the gospel is going literally uh, down the roads of Rome or down the Roman roads all over the world. And now it has reached Colossae through a guy by the name of Epaphras. And so these uh, Christians that are a part of the Colossian church are primarily non-Jewish, and now these false teachers have come in to point them back to some Jewish traditions. Now look with me at verse 16. What are these false teachers saying? Let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. Now look at that very first part. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. This is the idea uh, of, of looking down on someone. These false teachers were looking down on them for not practicing some of the Old Testament practices. And it's not like all of these Old Testament practices that they are promoting certainly fit perfectly together, but they are Old Testament practices that the Israelites would do back in the older portions of, of the scriptures. Other translations, instead of let no one pass judgment on you, will say let no one pressure you. Uh, let, let, no one, let no one peer pressure you into uh, these kinds of ideas and, and, and don't be conned by them. Uh, it's kind of like uh, if, if you're like uh, a sophisticated Chicagoan, right? Those sophisticated foodie Chicagoans, they're on Eater and they're like, well, you do know River North has this new rest. You haven't been to that restaurant in River North? Are you, are you even a Chicago? Are you even living life? Right? What, you haven't been to Bocadillo Market? Actually, James Martin, who's a member of the church, he started that restaurant uh, in Lincoln Park. So go out to Bocadillo Market. But, but they'll be like, you haven't been to that restaurant? Like, for real? Oh, man, my boy Dan is a foodie for real. Like, I feel, I feel a little bit of judgment from Dan when I, when I haven't been to certain places, right? He tells me, you got to go to Girl in the Goat, Doc. I got a reservation. You need to go to, go to Girl in the I said, Dan, I don't know if I like Girl in the Goat. I don't know, I don't know if I like goat. I already got a girl. No, I'm just 
Anyways, it's this, it's this idea of, man, looking, or, or even like for me, right, you've been in Chicago for years and years and years, but you haven't gone to the Garfield Park Conservatory? Like, you ain't even doing Chicago right. What you doing? It's this idea of, of, of looking down on, on people with a, a form of kind of self-righteousness, like you're, you're not even doing this thing the, the, the right way, right? And so what exactly are they saying that they're not doing right? Look back at verse 16 with me. Let no one pass judgment on you. Let no one pressure you. Don't look, let them look down upon you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. And so he talks about what you eat and drink, a religious festival, a new moon celebration, and a Sabbath day. Now, these are all Old Testament practices that the people of Israel did, but it was in response to something that God had done for the people of Israel. And you can throw the slide up uh, where these particular things show up in the older portions of the Scripture. So uh, specifics on what to eat and not eat is uh, there in Leviticus 11. Uh, religious festivals is in Leviticus 12, uh, 23. New moon celebration, Numbers 10, verses 8 through 10. And then specifics on the Sabbath day uh, in Leviticus 23. And Mark Maynell, New Testament commentator, and actually we're using uh, his book, Colossians for You, as a part of uh, our small group study, in commenting on this particular verse says that these are all different ways the Jewish believers of the Old Testament would show their devotion and dependence on their rescuer. These are all methods and ways they would show their devotion and dependence on their rescuer. Now, what you have to keep in mind is that the people of Israel had spent 400 years in slavery before God gives them all of these laws and the sacrificial system and all of those things that exist in the Old Testament. So they were 400 years in slavery to uh, Egypt and the Pharaoh, who was the most powerful nation and the most powerful person in the history of the world at the time. And they had all of these series of different gods that they worshiped. And as a matter of fact, the different plagues that, that, that God sent on the people of Egypt were actually showing off the fact that the gods that they worshiped weren't really gods at all. Right? And so when God gives the people of Israel the law, it's in light of the fact that he already set them free. So grace has already been given. And now God is telling them, after I've set you free, this is how I operate. If, if you want to be a, a part of this covenant connection with me, you need to operate like this. And in essence, all of these different things that God told the people of Israel to do were in stark contrast to the gods that the people around them worshipped and in contrast to the Egyptian gods that people in Egypt worshipped at the time. Uh, and, and so, in, in essence, what this was showing is that we are God's people. And everybody, by the fact that we practice these things, it shows off to the rest of the world that this is the God we worship. This is who we're a part of. This is who is ours, and, and, and we are his. And it showed that off to the rest of the watching world. So when, uh, when these false teachers come back in and say, man, you need to go back to doing some of these other things that they were doing back, back in the day, uh, Paul says in response to all of this, he says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. These are, these are a shadow. Now, I wouldn't look at the shadow and, and talk to a shadow, right? Not, not unless you're in a Peter Pan movie, right? 
You, you wouldn't talk to a shadow, but you would, talk, uh, you would talk to the person that the shadow is connected to. And if you see a shadow, eventually you're going to see a person connected to the shadow. And the shadow is just an outline of the person or thing that it's connected to, right? And so the Apostle Paul is looking at these Old, Old Testament practices and saying that, that's just the shadow. That's the thing that these things were, were pointing forward to. And, uh, and I, I've shared this before, but uh, my, my grandfather, he, uh, he loved Lexus sedans, right? Loved Toyota, was a big Toyota fan. And, and I've shared this before, but uh, I remember he had this old Cadillac Eldorado. He was so excited about this Cadillac Eldorado. And it, it was white with red leather interior. And it just gave him all these problems, right? 1986 Cadillac Eldorado. Back in the 80s and 90s, they, the American cars weren't doing too well. But anyways, loved this, loved this Cadillac. Then he was like, gave him all these problems. So he said, man, I'm going back to Toyota. And this time I'm not going back to Toyota. I'm going back to Toyota, the upgrade of Toyota. I'm going back to Lexus. And, and so he goes and gets himself a, a Lexus, and I remember going to a store with my mom one day, and, uh, and I saw this Hot Wheels car uh, on the shelf, and it was a Lexus just like my granddad's. And so I said, man, I got to get this for my grandpa. And my grandpa loved that Hot Wheels car. He loved that model. He, he put it up, as a matter of fact, uh, in his uh, bathroom in front of the mirror, so he looked at it every, every day. And... And here, here's the thing, he didn't, he didn't like the copy just because it was a copy. He liked it because his grandson gave it to him. And the real thing was actually out in the driveway. And in essence, what the Apostle Paul is saying is that these Old Testament practices that they're calling you back into were a copy. The Hot Wheels car ain't going to do nothing for you. It just points to the real thing in the driveway. And so the author of the book of Hebrews, he highlights this in Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5. And, and speaking of this Old Testament sacrificial system, and the words will come up on the screen. He says, they serve in a system of worship that is only a copy, a shadow of the real one in heaven. For when Moses was getting ready to build the tabernacle, the whole sacrificial system and the, the way in which they uh, interacted with God, God gave him this warning. Be sure that you make it. Make everything according to the pattern I have shown you here on mountain, because it's a copy of the real one in heaven. Hebrews 10 and 1, it says, uh, the law is only a shadow, there that word is again, of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship their copy. They're a really nice Hot Wheels car. Pastor Steve, I ain't trying to do no New Moon Festival. I, I, don't, I'm not, I, don't, I don't know what this has to do with my, my life in 21st century uh, America. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about uh, the particulars of, of the Sabbath day or... or or whatever the case may be, this, this is not my issue. I want you to consider something really quickly. I think that most of us believe that in this room, there are two types of people. There are people who are religious people, 
And then there are people who are not religious. And I don't know, maybe your gram- you came on your grandma's arm today. She said, baby, I'm going to take you to, to brunch. You, you know, that's the only reason why you're here, right? Uh, and, and, and so I think sometimes we, we think uh, uh, there are two types of people, but I, I want all of us to consider something, that, that if we were created by a designer, right? Like I don't look at, at my watch and say that thing just appeared, right? No, there, something had, like somebody had to design it in order for it to operate in the way that it operates to keep time, the specific way that it keeps time, right? And, and so if I'm created by a designer, and that designer is God, and the Bible says that I'm made in his image, it does not matter whether or not you're religious or irreligious. You were made for worship. You just may not worship God. It may be Whatever the thing is that you trust in to find lasting satisfaction, comfort, joy, and peace in, that's what you worship. That's what worship is. You are ascribing different things to something that is created. This is what I'm trusting in to fulfill my life. That could be your vocation. Uh, That could be your training. That could be the letters behind your name. That could be the fact that you have children. That could be uh, the fact that you went to a certain school. it It could be anything. There are things that we build our lives upon. And so really, in my view, there there's actually not two types of people. There's only one type of person. All of us are actually religious. It just depends on what you build your life upon. Now, if, if I can go a, a little bit further and say that when it comes to this idea of legalism, what we're looking at right now, this idea of I do the right things in order to gain approval, and then we look at these Old Testament uh, laws and we say, well, I'm not doing any of those things. That, I'm, not, I'm obviously not a legalist. What, what I want you to consider is that what if legalism is the air that you breathe? What, 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 if, what if your whole life has been legalism? Merit-based scholarship after merit-based scholarship. I performed I got my degree. I performed. I got acceptance from my parents. I performed. I did the right steps. I got promoted. Especially in a city like Chicago, we love performance to gain acceptance. We are a blue-collar town. Jay, you came all the way from London for this. Right here. You came all the way to London because this is what we love, right? The city with broad shoulders that can carry a lot of stuff. (laughs) 
And you say, yeah, but I'm not following the, the, the laws of the Bible, or, or even I'm not even a person that, that, like, I'm not trying to apply the Bible to my life and, and, uh, and figure out all the do's and don'ts and rights and wrongs of the Bible. I don't even believe that stuff, right? But here's the thing. Like I said, because you worship, worship something, you create laws for yourself because legalism is the air that you breathe. As a matter of fact, I would go so far as to say that you like legalism. You, you, it appeals to you. You just don't like everybody's legalism. You just don't like the legalism that says, I can't wear makeup, or you, you, should, you, you shouldn't wear, uh, or you, women got to wear skirts uh, all the time, and, and same passage in the Old Testament talks about not wearing a, a shirt with different fabrics on it, but that's another story for a different day. Um, you, 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 like, uh, you don't like the legalism that says, man, I got to speak in tongues in order to be saved. You, you don't like, uh, you don't like the, the legalism of, uh, of man, I, 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 you know, I, I have been uh, pure all the, all the way until my wedding day, and, and, and you, you don't like the, 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 the purity narrative of, of the 1990s, like uh, uh, Christian uh, small group ministry or uh, student ministry. You, you don't like to see the people who trust in their virginity for their righteousness. That's another sermon for a whole nother day. You don't like that legalism, but you still like legalism, just your own form of legalism. You like to create laws for yourself to keep so that you can look at yourself and if you're honest with yourself, say, I'm doing a little bit better than they are. And watch this. The very essence of that is completely antithetical to the gospel. Here in Chicago, in, in, uh, in America, we believe in the law, uh, we believe in the law of self-reliance. I can do it all. I can, I can be great at my profession. I, I can be a great mom. I can keep the house clean. I, I, can, uh, I can cook dinner. I can, uh, I can do all the things. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the, the moment hits where you fail in one of those areas and your reaction is, ah, shame and anger. Why? Because you believe in the law of self-reliance. You don't want grace. You're trying to do all the, all the right stuff, all, all the right stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm killing it here. I'm killing it there. I'm killing it over here. And, and, and all of a sudden now I'm overcome with anxiety and, and depression. And, and man, I don't need to go to the doctor. Lisa, I don't need to go to the doctor. I'm going to just take some eucalyptus, sprinkle some cinnamon on that thing with, with a lavender oil, and I'm going to pray it, and I'm going to anoint myself with lavender oil. Why? Because you believe in the law of self-reliance, and you're crushing your family 
because you don't want to receive grace. We believe in the law of busyness. Man, how you doing? Girl, how you doing? Oh, girl, I'm just busy. Okay, girl, how you doing? Busy. And we, we, wear, it with, we wear it with a badge of honor, right? We wear, we're like, how you, how you doing? You, you, know, you know how you doing is asking how you feel? I didn't ask nothing about you being busy. But you wear, you wear it with, with a badge of honor, and, and then the moment that you're not busy... You feel shame when you rest. You feel shame when you wake up at 7.30 a.m. Whatever it is, you feel shame when you're not busy because you believe in the law of busyness. Here's my point. Your laws may not be those things. My point is that you have a proclivity to create laws for yourself that have nothing to do with this book. And there are means for which you can say, I'm doing a little bit better than they are. And that's just how jacked up your heart is. You love legalism. And that's exactly why the people in Colossae were so susceptible to the con of legalism. Because once you give yourself over to that, eventually you get burnt out, you get exhausted, uh, you, you can't do all the things the right way. Now you're suffering from anxiety, your family's falling apart, and you can't do all the right steps, and you're carrying stuff that God has already moved on from. And then you walk away from church. You walk away from community. That's the con. And, and they were susceptible to this because they, they weren't Jewish, but now they're, 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 they know that Jesus is Jewish. And so Jesus is Jewish. And so there's, there's stuff that we need to do, the boxes we need to check and, and, and to ensure that, that we're in, in step with all of these, these things. And these people are coming in telling us, like, y'all aren't doing, these are some fundamental, these are foundational. What are, y'all, what are you thinking that you're not doing these things? And because legalism is the air that we breathe, we're incredibly susceptible to the con. Just the same way as the Colossian church were. It just not, might not be that con. But Paul says, don't, don't be conned by legalism. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about this next week. Uh, and, and, and so he goes on to say, don't, don't be conned, not just by legalism, but don't get conned by mysticism. Look with me at verse 18. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Evidently, as, as part of this false teaching, 
these, uh, these false teachers had come in, and, and there was an experiential side to it. There was, uh, there was this uh, experience of visions and special dreams and experiences that they would feel, and, uh, and these visions and dreams and experiences made them feel spiritually superior. Now, part of this practice meant worshiping angels. Ironically, God is the only one worthy of worship, and it's through their worship of angels that they're having these ecstatic visions and, and dreams and things that they're telling the people in Colossae to participate in, uh, and, and yet they're calling for them to worship things that God created. And, and so, in essence, they're saying, man, you, you haven't uh, you haven't had these experiences. You haven't. Uh, you haven't. Uh, you haven't uh, had these visions and these these dreams. Like you're missing out on. You're just comfortable with Christianity vanilla. Ain't no sprinkles on that thing. Ain't ain't no uh, ain't no Hershey's uh, on that thing. It, it's just plain old Jane. Jenny's vanilla is good, by the way. But anyways, <laughs> it's plain old Jane vanilla. And you got to think, to somebody who's never had a supernatural experience, this is interesting. This is compelling, especially uh, for people. If, if you grew up uh, in poverty or, or you grew up uh, as a, a person who experienced trauma in, in your childhood, like, man, a, a supernatural experience where, like, God breaks into earth for me uh, to have this uh, sort of catharsis moment of relief from uh, the situation that, that I'm in, like, this would be a kind of appealing thing to have visions and supernatural experiences, and yet all these visions and supernatural experiences did for the false teachers at Colossae, according to verse 18, is that they were puffed up without reason by their sensuous mind. The supernatural experience made them prideful. Like, if you had a supernatural experience, shouldn't it make you more like God? Humble, compassionate, gentle even? But not this one. It made them self-righteous. It made them focus on a power and not a person. When I first became a follower of Jesus, it was kind of in dramatic fashion. Uh, Pastor Derek invited me to a college ministry conference and uh, for whatever reason, I just knew I need to go to this college ministry conf conference. And, uh, and so I went, and it was, it was really like a fish-out-of-water type of thing. Like, I, you know, am rolling up 3-6 Mafia blaring, uh, bubble caprice on 22s, and I'm walking in. I probably put my gold teeth in the, in the ashtray on my way into the church function, right? And so it was just like one of those types of things. And, uh, and so I, I walk in, all these Jesus people and, and singing gospel songs, and the, some of them look dorky and stuff like that. So I'm like, I don't know if this is my scene. All of that kind of thing. And then I get there, and I'm at this conference, and it's a part of uh, uh, crew ministry. So, like, Deidre Little is a part of crew, crew ministry, right? And, but this is the arm of crew that's, like, the African-American arm of the college ministry. And so they're singing gospel songs, and the preacher gets up to preach, and it's all these people who are my same age that are, like, worshiping Jesus and stuff like that. Uh, and it's really cool. And over the course of time, I'm just convinced I need to become a follower of Jesus. Like, this is why my life is out of order, Right? 
And, and so every, uh, uh, every night they would do worship at, uh, songs at the end of the, uh, the sessions. And then on the last night of the conference, they, uh, they had this talent show. And there was a gospel choir that had come from the University of Missouri. And I'll never forget the song that they sang. Uh, they, they sang, my storage is empty and I am available to you. And everybody's, you know, it's, it's a talent show and people are getting up, uh, expressing themselves and sharing their gifts. And, and it's just like there's a presence in the room and it's heavy. Um, it, it, it was like you could feel it. It, it it's almost like uh, humi- when, when a room is really humid, you just feel like a, a pressure in the room. And I, I'll never forget them singing that song and all of a sudden I, I just experientially fell to the ground, and it was like I gave my life over to Jesus. Heard the Holy Spirit just lavish me with affection, and I just burst out into tears uncontrollably, and I don't even remember the last time that I had cried. And I was crying and crying and crying and crying, and and it was like my tears were like, God, I have surrendered my life, right? And I get up having now freshly been converted to Christianity, right? And the, the heaviness in the room ain't just on me. It's in the whole room. There's people wailing. There's people running the aisles, right? There, there are people standing up, uh, giving to- speaking in tongues, and then somebody on the other side of the room would interpret the tongue. It was like, it was like a whole lot of stuff going on. And so I, I, get, out, I get out of the... The, the auditorium there, and we're headed on our way home, and then there's, like, people there who, who are like, we're going to go cast out demons of these people in their hotel rooms. And so I'm like, I, I don't know. I guess I don't, I, I'm new to this. I guess the, that's what you, you cast out demons too. You know what I'm saying? And the interesting thing about that experience is there are a lot of people who either came to faith in Jesus that night or they felt incredible freeing, uh, freedom from sins that they felt bound by, or like Pastor Derek felt called to ministry, uh, vocational ministry at that conference. And I'm sure there was plenty of other people that, that, that like that, it was just this supernatural experience, this, this, this experience of God. And, uh, and I remember a couple of years later, um, growing in my faith and, and a number of, of people uh, that are in my circle are really, they're really passionate about speaking in tongues. And, and if you're unfamiliar with, with speaking in tongues from, from uh, the Bible, it's more than this, but just imagine like ecstatic utterance uh, that is not the English language or any other uh, earthly language, right? And so uh, they're passionate about it. And so passionate about it, they, they, they would tell me that if, uh, if I haven't spoken in tongues, then I'm not really saved. And so here I am, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm listening, and, and so I come to a couple of uh, worship services. I even got baptized. They said, you can't be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, of the Holy Spirit. You got to get baptized in Jesus' name, because it was like a formula, that you did these formulas, and then you tarried for the Spirit, and, and then the Spirit would come, um, and then all of a sudden, a power would, would, would come over you. And, uh, and, and so I, I followed and, and, and listened to, to what they were saying, and, and I experienced some of those things. And, uh, and then uh, a couple of years later, wh- what I realized as I was really in-depth studying the Scriptures for myself 
is that some of the people who said, man, well, you got to speak in tongues. They were some of the most prideful, arrogant people that I had ever met. And in many ways, the Holy Spirit was not a person. The Holy Spirit was a power. And and as I look back on my life, fast forward 15, 20 years, many of those people aren't even walking with Jesus anymore. And and I don't say that to say that their their faith wasn't genuine or um, I believe many of them are still followers of Jesus, but don't have a vibrant walk with Jesus. And one of the things that I think happened was that they wanted God for the experience. And they went from experience to experience to experience. And then after a while, they got burnt out. Life hit them. And eventually, when you've got faith in faith, You don't really have anything. You only have anything if you have faith in Jesus. And hear me say, some of the most prideful and arrogant people I know believe that all of the sign gifts have ceased. They believe all the supernatural experiences that you'll ever have have, gone, have been gone away with. So I'm not throwing shade at people who, who, go, who really pursue. I, I hope there's a day when somebody has, Pastor Steve, I got a tongue. And then somebody, I'm going to call for somebody over here. I'm going to say, who's got the interpretation? And the scripture says, if, if they don't, then tongues will cease. But here's the thing. If your supernatural experience does not exalt Jesus Christ and is more about you feeling power or more, more about you uh, feeling like you're more spiritually mature than somebody else or somehow makes you feel uh, superior to other followers of Jesus, you might have been conned. And if you give yourself some time, eventually you might realize that my faith was in the experience And it wasn't holding fast to the person and work of Jesus. So here's the thing. I began to read the scripture and I began 1 Corinthians 13. And we read this passage all the time at weddings and different things. But what I want you to really see is when the Apostle Paul is talking about these kind of supernatural gifts of experiences with God. He says that if those experiences don't point you to love but they point you to pride, you might have been conned. And matter of fact, John 15 and 26, uh, the, the scripture says, uh, Jesus in John 14 through 16, as a matter of fact, is the longest continuous teaching on the Holy Spirit in the Bible. 
But in John 15, it says, when the advocate comes, Jesus speaking, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He will bear witness to me. What is the Holy Spirit's job? It is to point you back to the person and work of Jesus Christ applied to your life by faith. If your supernatural experience doesn't point you back to incredible gratitude of love and grace, but it's just about power and feeling more spiritually mature than other people, you got con, baby. I'm just trying to tell you. And it's subtle. That's why the Apostle Paul calls it out. It, it's, it's tricky. It, it, it shows up as something that seems good. And then if it doesn't promote Jesus, if that's what the Holy Spirit does is apply the person and work of Jesus to our lives or at the very least exalt Christ in our lives, we may have been conned. And in the particular passage that we're in, the visions came in response to worshiping angels. And, and the same could be self, said of feeling power or self-righteous desire to set yourself apart from other people or, or even just wanting the experience without the person of Jesus. The Spirit's role is to make much of the Son. But the whole thing is about Jesus. So here's the thing. The Apostle Paul says, don't be conned by legalism. Don't be conned by mysticism. But Steve, what's the real thing? What, what, is, what is the thing that we need to do? He says in verse 19, these false teachers are not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. It is to hold fast to the person and work of Jesus. It, it is to hold fast, fast to the, the incarnation. The, the shadow was pointing forward to the incarnation. The sacrificial system, the, the priesthood, the, the, the laws were pointing forward to the incarnation of the person and work of Jesus Christ. And we get so familiar with Jesus that we're like, oh, Sunday school answer. What's the answer? Jesus. And we miss out on the preeminent nature of what happened in the incarnation of God the Son. As a matter of fact, the, 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 the word says uh, to hold fast. And, and one of the things that you'll see uh, in other portions, it'll say, be rooted. Pastor Derek talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, uh, there's, there's language in John 15 that talks about abiding, right? And if you look forward at verses 13 through verse 15 of chapter 2, th this is really significant uh, stuff that the Apostle Paul is articulating that happened in verses 13 through 15. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness that stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. 
And so he cancels the debt. Past, the incarnation is so, uh, so incredible and so sufficient that through Jesus being completely God and completely human, he's able to take on our sin debt, past, present, and future, and be our perfect representative on the cross so that the record is canceled. And his victory, as we said earlier, becomes our victory, and we didn't even do nothing to get it. That's, in, that's incredible, but that's not all. He says, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. In every realm that exists in existence, in the spiritual realm, in the demonic space, in, uh, think inception, right? Every alternate reality or alternate space that existence exists, he placed every enemy that he had to open shame on the cross. In Genesis, sin enters into the world, and now all of a sudden, shame comes with sin. Now, all of, of us experience shame. Then Jesus goes to the cross, and what was intended to be a shameful thing, crucifixion of a criminal on a cross, he uses to place every demon and every spiritual force, every principality, every power. The shame is no longer on us. And the shame is no longer on him. The shame is on them. On the cross, I, 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 like, to think, I like to think of it in, in sports terms, so forgive me. I, that's just how my mind goes. It's like the cross is poetic justice. And it's like Tyreek Hill when he catches a ball in the middle of the 50-yard line, Markel, and, and, and all of a sudden he just starts passing everybody on the defense, and before he gets to the end zone, he just throws up the peace sign. It's like when, when Shaq dunked on Chris Dudley, and he dunked on him and threw him down and then pointed at him, right? That's what Jesus did to every realm of power in existence. So that when the mysticism, when the legalism, when the, hey, this aura and these energies and these crystals might have it, like, listen, they ain't got nothing on Jesus. We just get really familiar with them that we miss the fact that he's superior to all of them. Thank you for that one golf clap. Oh, Kenna. God bless you. And so here's the picture of what Paul says in verse 19. Hold fast to the head. These false teachers, they're not holding fast to the head. They're, they're, they're attached to stuff that is not just less than, but it's fake. Hold fast to the head. What, what does it mean to hold fast? To the, in, in this, this spiritual journey and, and spiritual growth, growing uh, up into what God intends for us to be, uh, it, it's this idea of 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 remaining. Legalism calls out to you. Mystical experiences of all kinds call out to you as like, maybe that, that'll be the possible thing. Maybe that'll be the fix-all. I just got to go see a, a psychic, and they'll tell me what I need to do uh, in response to this, right? Energies, crystals, 
Kodiak, Zodiac, Kodiak signs, Kodiak cakes. That's what my wife makes. Zodiac signs. Right? That's the, that's the fix. If I just know that I'm a Taurus, Jay. I think, I, am a, I think that's what I am, but I don't know what it means. Actually, I don't think I believe what it means or think it has any val- validity at all. But anyways. <laughs> Holding fast to the head is this idea of remaining. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. Stay close to the vine. I am the vine, you are the branches. The Holy Spirit's work in your life is to apply the Son's work to your life and make you more like the Son. Make your home the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Kick your shoes off Kick your feet up and stay here. And I think one of the things that points us or pushes us to legalism or mysticism or whatever the other things or apathy or or whatever the case may be is that we've heard a preacher, we, we think to ourselves that, man, I'm just a little bit off, right? And so we hear the preacher say, uh, growing up or something like that, we hear the preacher say, uh, we missed the mark. You, you missed the mark. And in the etymology of the original language, when it talks about sin as being rebellion against God, and they'll say, you, you, that means you mix, missed the mark. And the etymology of the word does point to this idea of a bow and, and an arrow. And so we, we think to ourselves then, well, well, I didn't hit the bullseye, but, but, but I got on the circle. And Jesus is the thing, Jesus is the thing that's going to be like the nudge for me over to the bullseye. I'm not that bad. I just need to get a little nudge. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is a nudge. And here's the thing that you have to realize. That, that's why we look at Jesus and we say, Jesus, man, that, Jesus is cool. Sunday school answer, Jesus, 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 Jesus is a good person. All of that stuff about Jesus. We're super familiar with Jesus. What we have to realize is that you didn't just miss the mark. The arrow never left the bowl. You, you didn't miss the mark. You built your life on something other than you were intended to build your life on. In other words, you needed Jesus to give you the arrow, the bow, and shoot the bow and arrow for you to hit the bullseye. You don't need a nudge. You need the whole thing. And that's why the gospel is so incredible. He gave me the whole thing. So I don't have to be conned by legalism. I don't have to be conned by mysticism. I don't have to be apathetic. I can look at the fact that I didn't just need a nudge. I needed him to shoot the arrow for me. And his love, he did it. John Kuhn, as the band comes, we'll go home on this one. John Kuhn was a furniture appraiser, and uh, he went to a house in suburban Wisconsin. And um, 
was going to make a joke about Oak Brook again, but I feel like I've outdone that one. <laughs> he goes to a house in suburban Wisconsin, and he's there to appraise some furniture. And he walks through the house to appraise the furniture that he was there to appraise. And he goes back through the living room, and he sees a painting on the wall that he's familiar with. And what you find out later on is that John Kuhn actually studied art in college. And so he goes to the furniture that he was there to appraise, and he walks back through the living room, and he sees the painting, and he goes back to the furniture that he's there to appraise, and he's like, what is that? Where do I know that painting from? And he goes back to the furniture, and he comes back to the living room, and he says, that's a Van Gogh. And he goes to the family. He says, do you guys realize that you have an original Van Gogh in your house? They said, what, that old thing? That thing's been in the living room for 30 years. We, we like that painting a whole lot. It's been, that's the reason why it's been there for 30 years, right? It's a beautiful painting. We're super familiar with that painting. It, it creates some nostalgia for us. We have a good feeling when we see the painting. They had walked past that painting for 30 years. It was an original Van Gogh worth $1.5 million. Sometimes we can be too familiar with Jesus. Too familiar with the nature of all of what was accomplished as the shadow pointed forward to the mystery hidden for ages and generations, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory that you receive, not having shot a bow and an arrow at all, despite the fact that the arrow never left the bow, despite the fact that you needed someone else to shoot it. And he did. Don't get too familiar with Jesus to where you miss the preeminent nature of what it is that he has done for you and for me. When I look back at the cross, I get to look back at my freedom. Freedom from having to prove myself. Freedom from trying to gain approval and belonging. Freedom from standing in my own righteousness. Freedom from having to do all the right steps. Freedom from the exhaustion of trying to keep it all together all the time. And that very nature of that love, the very nature of the magnitude of that is the very thing through gratitude that says, what are the words in this book? I want to honor God with my life. Not so that I can prove myself, but because he already approved me. Man, I just feel a wave of peace and relief off of my shoulders. I know I live in the city with broad shoulders, but dang it, I don't have to have them. But Jesus does.
Don't be kind. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness towards us. We thank you for the fact that you sent your son, God. And I pray every heart, even as we talked about legalism and mysticism and apathy or crystals or whatever the case may be of the different things that we look to to be places of power, places of, of special experiences or, or whatever the case may be, God, whatever experience we have be an exaltation of Jesus. Uh, I pray that as a church that we have uh, those experiences, that somebody has a word, somebody has uh, something to, to share that comes from, uh, from the spirit that points back to the scripture that exalts Jesus. Um, and, and I pray, God, that we would be a people that don't look at grace as, uh, as a noun, as a thing, but we would look at grace as the person and work of Jesus Christ. And I, I pray too, God, that the person that heard me and said, oh, I'm, I'm going to go do whatever I want now because grace covers that. Now you miss grace, bro. Grace is the thing that so raptures your heart that you can't do anything else but obey because you want to say thank you. And so, Father, would we live from that place of holding fast to the head? Would we make our home the person and work of Jesus Christ applied to our lives, reminding ourselves that we didn't need a nudge. We needed somebody to shoot the arrow for us. Help us, God, to that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for tuning into our podcast today. I pray that it was a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. I look to see you at one of our services at 9 or 11 a.m. on Sunday morning. Take care. God bless you.